The following program contains strong language and sensitive subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Rogue Party, a listenership of unorthodox, uncensored, unbiased, fully independent thinkers. I'm the information dealer, Mike L. Watts, starting at the end to work our way to a new beginning. Get ready. So I'm showing you the error rates as you go darker and darker in skin tone. So let's look at IBM, for example. For the lighter skinned um, group, you have an error rate of 5.1%, and then you get to 46.8%, which is almost random chance um, error rate. So our tools are not robust enough to be used in the manner that we're using them right now. We don't know what kinds of biases we're propagating because all of these little AI tools are being strung together and being used in very high-stakes scenarios. So what are the solutions? That was Dr. Taneja Brew from a clip from a TED Talk called How to Stop Artificial Intelligence from Marginalizing Communities. Dr. Jabru was recently forced into a resignation from Google. She was the co-leader of the AI ethics team. And there was an email released that didn't go so well that responded to an irregular procedure that the leadership decided to take in response to an inquiry from a paper that she uh, had authored and submitted. But before we get into that, I want to talk a bit of, uh, of a precursor up uh, from an article called The Far-Reaching Impacts of Racism and Bias uh, by a journalist named Sarah Fru. And a highlight from this article foreshadows what we're about to talk about. Racial tension, biases, and discrimination are not only very alive, but on the rise. And they are impacting our learners and faculty significantly, said David Acosta, who leads the Diversity Policy and Programs Unit at the American Association of Medical Colleges. Over the past 30 to 40 years, the number of black applicants to medical schools and science and engineering graduate schools has remained relatively flat, only increasing by 1.3 percent, despite multiple attempts by many institutions to address the problem, said Acosta. Anti-affirmative action laws have impacted efforts to accelerate enrollment of students in these programs, he said. And for those who enroll, institutional environments present more challenges. Research has also revealed that medical students and residents face problems. This pay attention. Research has revealed that medical students and residents face problems such as stereotype threat, micro and macro aggressions and isolation and marginalization, among others, said Acosta. Similar problems are experienced by minority faculty in STEM fields, S-T-E-M-M fields, who perceive their environments as being extremely stressful, exhausting, and diminishing to their sense of control, meaning, and comfort. I can stand as a witness to that. And I want to get into Dr. Jabru's email, some specific parts that I highlighted that speak directly to what we just read. And she goes, what I want to say is stop writing your documents because it doesn't make a difference. 
the DEI OKRs that we don't know where they come from and are never made anyways, the random discussions, the, quote, we need more mentorship, unquote, rather than, quote, we need to stop toxic environments that hinder us from progressing, unquote, the constant fighting and education at your cost, they don't matter because there is zero accountability. There is no incentive to hire 39% women. Your life gets worse when you start advocating for underrepresented people. You start making other leaders upset when they want they, when they don't want to give you good ratings during calibration. Uh, side comment: Calibration is something internal within Google that they do. The staff knows what that is. Uh, we layman people who are not involved in Google don't know what that is. Some of us may, but I don't. Continue. There is no way more documents or more conversations will achieve anything. I'm gonna play that back. There is no way. More documents or more conversations will achieve anything. We just had a black research all hands with such an emotional show of exasperation. Do you know what happened since? Silencing in the most fundamental way possible. She is frustrated. This is the woman I played at the beginning of of the clip. When she first started talking, if you didn't know any better, you would think she was maybe a, a teenager discussing something highly advanced but no this is a, a, a an adult woman a grown woman a doctor an accomplished woman and she is frustrated beyond belief i'm going to keep going with pieces of this email that made google force her into resignation for standing up for herself she says have you ever heard of someone getting feedback on a paper through a privileged and confidential document to hr does that sound like a standard procedure to you or does it just happen to people like me who are constantly dehumanized? Further down. Then you ask for more information. What specific feedback exists? Who is it coming from? Why now? Why not before? Can you go back and forth with anyone? Can you understand what exactly is problematic and what can be changed? And you are told after a while that your manager can read you a privileged and confidential document and you're not supposed to even know who contributed to this document, who wrote this feedback, what process was followed or anything. You write a detailed document discussing whatever pieces of feedback you can find, asking for questions and clarifications, and it is completely ignored. And you're met with once again in order to retract the paper with no engagement whatsoever. This is Dr. Jabru's words verbatim on the email. She is tired of being dismissed. She did not attend all those years of schooling to go through what she's going through right now or right then. I'm going to continue. Then you try to engage in a conversation about how this is not acceptable and people start doing the opposite of any sort of self-reflection, trying to find scapegoats. To blame silencing marginalized voices like this is the opposite of the NAUWU principles, which we discussed and doing this in the context of, quote, responsible AI, unquote, adds so much salt to the wounds. I understand that the only things that mean anything at Google are levels. I've seen how my expertise has been completely dismissed. But now there's an additional layer saying any privileged person can decide that they don't want your paper out with zero conversation, so you're blocked from adding your voice to the research community and your work, which you do on top of other marginalization you face here. Ending the email from Dr. Jabru. So if you would like to change things, I suggest focusing on leadership, accountability, 
and thinking through what types of pressures can also be applied from the outside. For instance, I believe that the Congressional Black Caucus is the entity that started forcing tech companies to report their diversity numbers. Writing more documents and saying things over and over again will tire you out, but no one will listen. She's sick of the lip service, y'all. She's sick of the lip service. She sent that like a torpedo straight to management. Who do you think you are to dismiss me and have me sit there and take it? Nah. Not at all. Not at all. And of course, there was a response. This response was from Jeff Dean. And, uh, you know, it's the, it's the traditional corporate rebuttal, corporate response. They forced her into resignation. She said she'd work on an end date if things couldn't be handled in a, in a, in a way that was satisfactory and, and fair. And they said, oh, we accept your resignation. <laughs> Jeff Dean said, I'm going to call her Dr. Jabru because that's what she is. Dr. Jabru responded with an email requiring that a number of conditions be met in order for her to continue working at Google, including revealing the identities of every person who Megan and I had spoken to and consulted as a part of the review of the paper and the exact feedback. Dr. Jabru wrote that if we didn't meet these standards or if we didn't meet these demands, that she would leave Google and work on an end date. Then he says, we accept and respect her decision to resign from Google. You know what that is. You know what that is. If you work in corporate America, basically, that's an F you. But let me continue down to the to the final part of this email, which is this lip service she was talking about. This is corporate lip service. We're pushing hard on our efforts to improve representation and inclusiveness across Google research because we know this will lead to better research and a better experience for everyone here. Look, when they says we're pushing hard on our efforts, what exactly does pushing hard mean? What exactly does it mean when someone says we're pushing hard with our efforts you to make something happen and it doesn't happen? That's called lip service. That's called symbolic uh, symbolism. Symbol <laughs> That's called symbolism or symbology. It's called symbolism. We're making some symbolic gesture. Yeah, we care and we are working at our effort. Y'all ain't doing nothing. You ain't never did nothing. Nothing. No thing. She was supposed to be a token. She was supposed to be a token to be put on a, uh, a shelf representing the work that we're doing. Look, we have a black woman with an afro here. A very nice, well-meaning uh, woman, uh, very soft-spoken. And, you know, she she's here and she's helping do the work. They didn't expect her to be a lion. She's from Ethiopia. They didn't expect her to be a lion. They didn't expect her, her to roar. When things are unfair and things are going unsatisfactory. I went to the forums to find out who at Google had something to say. Ex-colleagues, and I found a couple of different things. I'm going to read first who is pro Dr. Jabru. This gentleman says, Maybe different teams are different, but on my previous team within Google AI, we thought of we thought uh, the goal of 
Google's pub approval process was to ensure that internal company IP, intellectual property, uh, for example, details about data sets, details about a Google compute infrastructure, uh, does not leak to the public and maybe to shield Google from liability. Nothing more. In all of my time at Google AI, I never heard of pub approval being used for peer review or to critique the scientific rigor of the work. It was never used as a journal. It was an afterthought that folks on my team would usually clear only hours before important deadlines. We like to leave peer review to the conferences slash journals existing process to weed out bad papers. Why duplicate that work internally? That's what he says. He also says, I'm disappointed that Jeff has chosen to imply that pub approval is used to enforce rigor. That is a new use case and not how it is, not how it has been traditionally used. Pub approval hasn't been used to silence uncomfortable minority viewpoints until now. If this has changed, it is a very, very new change. You know, when we talk about macro and microaggressions, someone who worked as a colleague within Google also wrote about this particular happening. And, and it's, it's, it's even when they agree, these people who have these micro and macroaggressions, even when they agree, it's backhanded. I'll read this. Initially, I took Google side. Even Dr. Jabru has a history of bullying so aggressively and has no qualms to play race gender cards at every opportunity she gets. Dr. Jabru. So I'm showing you the error rates as you go. That, that was a bully. That was the voice of a, a, a bully, according to this aggressive bully, according to this person who plays the race card. She's there for ethics to make sure people aren't being treated poorly by facial recognition, which is part of her major work. Let me continue. It is clear that the peer review process that Jeff Dean had described has been optional for all intent and purpose. It says along similar lines that right there on their internal website. It says along similar lines that right there on their internal website. Now, forgive me. I don't know the background of this person. If English is their second language, but we're going to work through this. Uh, too many Googlers have attested that, ha that they have been bypassed, have attested that they have bypassed the product, the process with no consequences. Uh, Jabru's paper itself has no real technical novelty. There was no reason to fire her. It doesn't seem out of line that Jabru was befuddled, frustrated, uh, and made a threat on the basis that she had the right for the information. Jeff Dean could have easily offered her feedback and transparency in the decision process. He could have agreed to let her make corrections later in the submission process. He did none of that and doesn't want to come out clean. Now, here's where the backhand comes in. Having said that, because it always has to be another another part of it, always has to be the, the other side of the hand. Having said that, I still feel Jabru is an extraordinarily self-entitled person. A few months ago, she insisted that Jeff Dean take her side in a Twitter feud she initiated. She had the mindset of either you are with me all the time or you are racist and misogynist. She complains about, quote, microaggressions, unquote, toward her from everyone. But she herself is super aggressive. So I'm showing you the error rates as you go darker and darker. OK. When disagreements arise, she marks you down as the enemy and launches attacks to destroy you completely with sole purpose of making you homeless, jobless and making sure your kids die of hunger. <laughs> I wouldn't wish up on her as a colleague to anyone. You might have right to disagree with me, 
But this is what I have felt. Still, I take her side in this current episode, nonetheless, because I think she's on the right side. I mean, you just basically said she is a villain, monster, bully, murderer. And now you take her side. So then someone uh, chose to dogpile. Uh I think this person maybe doesn't work for, for Google uh, he, in response to what this gentleman said. He said, you admit she's a bully, super aggressive, consistently makes spurious accusations of racism, attempts to destroy her enemies totally and is in general a nightmare employee in every way. Then you say you take her side because Dean could have given her a quote transparency, unquote. Are you aware that she was demanding the identities of people who had criticized her work, presumably so she can go and then bully them too? This is speculation from someone who doesn't work at Google. This person is a 100% A plus straightforward case of someone who should be fired and in fact should have been fired long ago. All these attributes are the sort of thing that absolutely qualifies someone for dismissal. Now you see how strong how strongly this person feels about uh so i'm showing you the error rates as you go darker and darker in skin tone uh, <laughs> micro macroaggressions you know there's a voice of reason i found in the forums and this is we're going to escape the forums after i read this but this kind of puts things into perspective the reality is that the research organizations at big tech companies have always been a very different kind of labor relationship than typical rake and file business units. Many of the senior or otherwise high profile researchers at FAANG companies, FANG, would otherwise be professors or academics in positions where there is essentially unbridled academic freedom and no expectation of separating personal convictions and principles from the academic environment. Google lured many of these researchers away from academic roles with the tacit promise that they would be able to continue their research and at times political endeavors relatively unencumbered. Google has built a research empire on this promise, which has been responsible in part for their continued dominance in various markets. My point here is that these researchers have a lot of leverage advocating for action within an organization counter to the current immediate goals of management is only taboo and thus, quote, fireable, unquote, in most companies because workers have almost no leverage, generally speaking, not because it is some inherently bad thing. If Google becomes seen as a place that fires researchers for advocating for their beliefs, especially in a capacity that they've been explicitly hired to do, then I think a lot of researchers would. And rightly should. Reconsider whether such an environment is consistent with their values as academics and oftentimes activists. Google's research group is enormous, enormously valuable to the company. And there's only so much reputational damage of this nature. The organization can sustain before academics decide to take their talents elsewhere. Taking my talents, taking my talents to South beach. I'll be taking my talents to South beach. An article that touched on this, this is bigger than just today. How Google tried to silence a critic and ignited a movement from FastCompany.com, a journalist named Catherine Schraub. I'm going to read some things from this article. But on the same day that the company wrapped up its investigation, it fired Margaret Mitchell, Dr. Jabru's co-lead and the founder of Google's AI ethical team. Mitchell had been using an algorithm to comb through her work communications, looking for evidence of discrimination against Jabru. In a statement to Fast Company, Google said that Mitchell had committed multiple violations of its code of conduct and security policies, and the company declined to comment further on this story. So her partner rode for her 
and wanted to find out what was really happening and used an algorithm to search to get to the bottom of it. And Google fired her as well. No, there's you. How dare you? How dare you? You leave now. And they fired her. You know, Dr. Jabru's paper was critical of the BERT language. And that's the language that uses, uh, that's utilized in the Google search engine that, you know, this, um, I believe this may contribute to when you would type in dreadlocks and a bunch of uh, white people with dreads would pop up instead of, you know, Rastafarians. But when people search for dreadlocks, sometimes it's white people trying to find out what they would look like or what their peers look like with dreads. And so those are the things that receive the most clicks. So I think the algorithm would probably be responding to that versus it just being uh, biased, racially biased, written a racially biased algorithm in coding. A speculation. Let me continue to another important part of this article. It says the industry's power isn't just potent within its own walls. That dominance extends through academia and the nonprofit world to a chilling degree. A 2020 study found that at four top universities, more than half of AI ethics researchers who whose funding sources uh, are known to have accepted money from a tech giant. One of the largest pools of money dedicated to AI ethics is a joint grant funded by the National Science Foundation and Amazon. Presenting a classic conflict of interest. Amazon has a lot to lose from some of the suggestions that are coming out of the ethics in AI community, points out Rade Abibi, who is also a black woman and a brilliant computer science professor at UC Berkeley. And she co-founded the organization Black in AI with, with Dr. Jabru uh, to provide support for black researchers in an overwhelmingly white field. Perhaps unsurprisingly, nine out of the 10 principal investigators in the first group to be awarded NSF Amazon grant money are male and are white or Asian. Amazon didn't even respond to a request for comment on that. So they put together this grant program and the first people to get it are in the 80 percentile white and Asian uh, software programmers, engineers, designers. Let me go back to that precursor I was reading. Research has revealed that medical students and residents face problems such as stereotype threat, micro and macroaggressions, and isolations and marginalization, among others, said Acosta. Similar problems are experienced by minority faculty and STEMM STEM fields who perceive their environments as being extremely stressful, exhausting and diminishing to their sense of control, meaning and comfort. If you are a black person working in corporate America and you are unapologetically black, you know, there's something that you deal with. It's something that you have to put up with in your field. And if you're being paid well, it's crazy. You know, Margaret Mitchell um, on Twitter was responding to uh, a tweet or posted a tweet that was critical of Google's CEO uh, after he was planning a meeting with a historically black college to try to, you know, save face. So we love blacks. So come on in. You just can't. 
you know, actually do something. She says, say you have a problem with consistently alienating black women and have caused serious damage in their lives. You could a try to undo that damage. B, try to find more black people to like you. The tokenism approach. Good luck. Margaret Mitchell said that on Twitter. They fired her for trying to find out exactly what happened to her colleague using algorithms that I highly doubt that that was against code. But, you know, make stringent rules and selectively enforce them. That's how the power structure works. That's how it's always worked. Furthermore, after Dr. Jabru was forced into her resignation by the powers that be, uh, there were men that started harassing her. From DailyDot.com, many, including thousands of her former colleagues at Google, rallied behind Dr. Jabru. A small group of primarily men have done the opposite. Dr. Jabru and those who defended her, many of whom are women of color, say they bear, they're being harassed by these men who are, quote, obsessed, unquote. One of these men is a uh, computer science professor at the University of Washington. His name is Pedro Domingos. And some of his tweets, I mean, he's basically made made a, uh, a stance and created a presence for himself with this. There's no oppressor here, only deranged activists, December 11th. It's like five tweets from the 11th responding to people how about listening to both sides no they asked for changes because the paper was seriously flawed as they pointed out they had every right to not want google's name associated with it she resigned check the facts nah she she got pushed into resignation she said she'd work on the date and as i've read to you earlier jeff dean said we accept your resignation with a tight lip you know they press the lips together real tight look like they're trying to say something but they can't that press that tight press yeah that no she resigned to argue otherwise you have to either ignore the facts or ignore the logic so argue facts and logic this guy just you know keeps going on and on and i mean she just (sighs) dr jabru had to sustain attacks from these crazed individuals you know the, the the mentality of the conquering class is just disgusting they don't they just they bite down and just (laughs) until there's nothing left leave people alone leave people alone you know what what made things dangerous for dr jabru she had a cause she had a purpose she had a mission but I want to say that before we even get there, we can't ignore social and structural problems. We can't ignore the fact that there are certain groups of people who are heavily policed. Who are the groups of people who might be adversely affected by these biases, by these surveillance practices? And who are the groups of people who are creating, involved in creating this technology and distributing it, right? They look like this. They don't look like the people who are being surveilled and heavily policed and adversely being impacted by this technology. The big race car pulling bully, Dr. Jabru, according to these silly psychopaths. She's a big race card using bully. She couldn't even say that the people who were programming the algorithms were white and Asian. 
She just put the pictures up there. She was being polite and respectful to not offend anyone in the room. She couldn't even say it. This woman went in and did her job to spec and beyond. And she was criticized, dismissed, chastised, and ultimately relieved of her duty for making a difference at Google. Shame on Google. Shame on Jeff Dean. Dr. Jabru is a lioness from Ethiopia, representing her land well. Much power, much respect to you. And I know that you will continue to make a difference in the world. Speaking of Africa, it always grinds my gears when I when I hear these calanthropists. You heard it right. When I hear them talking all this nonsense about trying to help the Africa, help the Africans, all the Africans, they want to help the Africans. It's Africa. so random. The what's considered in GMO and what's not considered GMO, irradiating things and making, uh, having multiple chromosomes, that's not GMO. Whereas things where you intentionally insert in things in a very careful known way, that is GMO. And in fact, you can't even tell once you have the results, the idea of which, how it was derived. There's no natural beating can create exactly those same, those same things. So I do think the Africans ought to have a sovereign right um, you know, take cassava disease. It's spreading throughout the continent. It's a uh, very important crop. There is, in the labs being worked on, a GMO cassava that will stop mosaic disease. And should African countries be told no, uh, you know, let that disease run rampant. It's okay. It creates starvation and, and malnutrition. But you also let, say they should have the right to export those crops to Europe. No, every, every country should be able to decide if they don't want to eat stuff. If they want to pay more for food, if they want to use more insecticide, it's okay. Uh, you know, Europeans can do whatever they want when it comes to food. Pay twice as much, four times as much. It's okay. You know, don't eat butter. Whatever uh, feels good, it's, well, it's okay. Like, that sounds to me like you question the benefits of trade and, and agriculture, which, I mean, I would have thought is a huge part No, it's better of for the world if people... Uh, have sort of the same view of the merits of things and, and allow free trade. But it's better for the world. He just knows what's good for the world, huh? I get tired of hearing someone who doesn't even break bread with the peoples normally. When have you ever seen Gates walk amongst common people and just talk to them and be in their presence and eat as they eat, live as they live, sleep as they sleep, to understand them as a culture, as a people? And support, you know what a real humanitarian looks like. They're, they're with their knees in the soil, next to the people, shoulder to shoulder. They're not shooting them with shots, with a suit on, with awkward smiles, a poorly tailored suit at that. I say, you know, I want to know who is in the land. Who is in Africa, in any other countries, speaking about what's going on there. As a continent, there are voices representing the people who experienced the WHO, the CDC, the UN in action and are speaking critically of their involvement from within the country. And I found an amazing doctor named Dambisa Moyo. She uh, was born and raised in Zambia, has a PhD uh, from a PhD in economics from Oxford. 
and uh, a master's from Harvard uh, at the JFK uh, School of Government. She worked at Goldman Sachs for a number of years, well over five. And she was a consultant for the World Bank. She is the authority. She was named to the list of uh, Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in the World. She has published in Financial Times, Barron's, Wall Street Journal, Harvard Business Review. She's traveled all over the world. And in her spare time, she runs marathons and practices Pilates and is an amateur boxer. She'll probably whip that tail physically and intellectually. She's respected for her unique perspectives and her balance of contrarian thinking with measured judgment and her ability to turn economic insight into investable ideas. Now, a contrarian is a person who opposes or rejects popular opinion. You're not going to get anything past her. And Mr. Vaccine decided that he had something to say about a book that she wrote, about this book Dead Aid that she wrote, Dead Aid, Why Aid is Not Working, and How There's a Better Way for Africa, Standing Up for Her Homeland, Gates had the nerve to call this book evil. He had the nerve to say he read the book and then called the book evil. And over the last 20 years, the number of children who die in Africa every year has been cut in half. Um, and, you know, is that good or not good? It's, it's largely due to vaccines and the aid programs that have been there uh, in Africa. Uh, you know, I think that the... That book actually did damage generosity of rich world countries. Uh, you know, people have excused various cutbacks because of it. You read and the book, obviously. Did you um, did actually? You find, yes. Did you find anything? Did you find anything in it of use? Uh, I found that uh, she didn't know much about aid and what aid was doing. Pause. Dr. Moyo, uh, uh, Billy Boy says you don't know anything about aid. I'm very disappointed because uh, my one piece of advice is don't ever write a review if you haven't read the book. On page seven of my book, I very clearly outline the three types of aid. Guess what I have in my hand? Guess what I have in my hand? Hold on, hold on. You, you got to hear him say this again. You, you got to hear it. Uh, I found that uh, she didn't know much about aid and what aid was doing. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Now let's see if you can defend yourself. You sweat from a baboon's balls. Y'all ready? We going in. Page seven. Hey, hey, Billy. Billy. You listening? Page seven. What is aid from the book you didn't read? Broadly speaking, there exists three types of aid. Humanitarian or emergency aid which is mobilized and dispensed in response to catastrophes and calamities. For example, aid in response to the 2004 Asian tsunami or monies which targeted the cyclone hit Myanmar in 2008, charity-based aid, which is dis dispersed by uh, charitable organizations to institutions or people on the ground, and systematic aid. That is, aid payments made directly to governments, either through government-to-government -government transfers in which case is termed bilateral aid or transferred via institutions such as the World Bank, known as multilateral aid. Dr. Moyo, could you please continue with what you're saying? I'm very disappointed because uh, my one piece of advice is don't ever write a review if you haven't read the book. On page seven of my book, I very clearly outline the three types of aid. I'm going to let her finish, but just, just, for, just for good measure. 
uh, I found that uh, she didn't know much about aid and what aid was doing. And, you know, she is an aid critic. Uh, there's not many uh, because it's moralistically a tough position to take uh, given what aid has been able to do. Uh, but uh, I, if you look objectively at what aid has been able to do, you would never accuse it of, of creating dependency. Having children not die is not creating independency. Having children not be so sick they can't go to school, not having enough nutrition so their brains don't, don't develop, that is not a dependency. That's an evil thing. And books like that, are they're promoting evil. That coward Bill Gates picked up a child and tried to use that child as a shield when he clearly had no idea what he was talking about. Now let's see if you can defend yourself, you sweat from a baboon's balls. I'm very disappointed because uh, my one piece of advice is don't ever write a review if you haven't read the book. On page seven of my book, I very clearly outline the three types of aid. Humanitarian or emergency aid, which goes in for example a tsunami or a flood or an earthquake, which I have, uh, I believe there's a moral imperative for us to act as a global society. The second type of aid I talk about on page seven is what I call NGO or charitable aid. So this is a relatively small amount of aid where um, we send money for a scholarship, uh, for example, to support a child uh, in, in, in Zambia. Um, I myself sit on charitable boards. I, I'm on the board of Room to Read, which is a San Francisco-based charity, education charity. But it's important for us to understand what those type of interventions can and cannot do. So yes, they can send a girl to school, or in this case, yes, we can send HIV drugs to Africa, but um, longer term, these are not going to help these economies grow by the levels of, or rates of growth that we need them to, to grow, to put a dent in poverty. So, now, Gerson goes on, he says, in 2004, 7% of Zambians, mm -hmm. your countrymen, mm -hmm. who needed AIDS drugs were receiving them, but by September of 2009, that figure should exceed two-thirds, 66%. Mm -hmm. It's not a minor thing for Moyo to dismiss the achievements of a foreign aid program that helped save her homeland. I've you, never dismissed the PEPFAR programs, first of all. So PEPFAR is, the, is President Bush's, uh, well, it's being continued now under President Obama, but it's the AIDS program that's right. for Africa. That's right. right. But he, we're skirting over a very, very fundamental point. And this is precisely why I say the aid model is couched in the sense that Africans are not capable of doing it themselves. All right. The point is... Healthcare, education, infrastructure, and even security are public goods. They are goods that the governments of Africa are supposed to be providing to their people. The reason why Americans go and vote between John McCain and uh, uh, President Obama is because you decide as Americans who you think is best going to be equipped to provide public goods. We are looking for that right also in Africa. And it, um, equipped with that, a friend of mine from Africa said, well, if, if it's actually going to be a situation where we are African governments are not providing these goods, why do we bother electing them? Why should we not be electing uh, the PEPFAR program versus the British uh, AIDS uh, program? Because they're the ones that are ultimately providing public goods. The reality is the pro PEPFAR programs are unsustainable. America's facing 10% unemployment rate. We're in the middle so of a credit you're, you're, crisis. From the, point of view, from the point of view of Africa, I want to make sure I've got this. Sure. You're suggesting that even PEPFAR, even the AIDS program, if permitted to remain in place, 
would prove insidious. I'm it, precisely the point because Ooh, yes, tough. it's a band-aid. Okay, it's ahead. a band-aid solution. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh my God, you know, the fact that two million Africans are on HIV drugs is a bad thing. Of course not. That is a good thing. But whose responsibility is it to provide those HIV drugs? And more importantly, are we creating an environment in Africa to make sure that in ten years, twenty years, thirty years, African governments are going to take responsibility for that? We are not Americans. We are not supposed to be ta uh, taking into the American tax base. The American society does not operate by sitting around and waiting for handouts. Why should we as Africans? Boom. It always trips me out when I, I, I watch these these white male uh, talking heads on, on television or on whatever, C-SPAN, wherever they are. Anytime there's a woman saying something, they just feel like they could just, well, yeah, okay. You weak, pathetic fool. She is far more accomplished than you will ever be, than you could ever dream to be. What would be good for you is to sit down, shut your mouth, and learn. Be instructed by someone with an intellect superior to your own. Keep your hands off of Africa. And in response to Billy Boy's trite about, uh, that's, that's just, that's a, okay, Africans, it's objectionable, you know, it's hard to take, you know, a stance again. Listen. From page 67, uh, there's a sub uh, chapter called Aid Objections, where she outlines two different people in history uh, that she chose to magnify. I'm going to read the second half um, by a gentleman named Bill Easterly. She says more recently, the author and former World Bank economics economist Bill Easterly has provided numerous case studies on the failures of aid policies across the developing world in the bottom billion Paul Collier criticizes the blanket one size fits all aid approach as paying no heed to the unique circumstances of individual countries and thus proposes a more nuanced approach to aid driven proposals and only where they are needed. That's two different people. So. Uh, let me just continue. Perhaps where all this literature falls down somewhat is that it does not explicitly offer Africa a menu of alternatives to aid. But more importantly, the people who actually and actively implement the aid agenda are yet to be convinced. These are people who are so wedded to aid that they are unable to see Africa as anything but a helpless without aid intervention. Let me read that one more time. These are people who are so wedded to aid that they are unable to see Africa as anything but helpless without aid intervention. You see, I inserted a word in there that didn't belong. Forgive me. This is live. We are not editing anything all right what follows is a discussion of other better ways for africa to finance its economic development ways that have been tried and tested in places as far flung as india russia and chile and even closer to home in south africa she is the authority when it comes to aid and when you have people who are billionaires who position themselves as saviors of the world saying crap like this uh i found that uh, she didn't know much about aid and what aid was doing. I'm very disappointed because uh, my one piece of advice is don't ever write a review if you haven't read the book. On page seven of my book, I very clearly outline the three types of aid. Put a hurting on you, Billy. I'm going to keep going on that guy. You guys will realize this man is nothing like what he's paid the public relations businesses to make himself out to be. He's nothing like that. He is a coward. 
He is a farce. He is a criminal. He is not the world's savior. He is a business magnate who has made billions off of things that he had to go to see. He had to go through. He had a, he had a deposition against him with the Department of Justice. He was basically on trial for antitrust measures. Microsoft is about totality. They don't like open source software. They want to control everything. Even though he quote unquote stepped down, the philosophies haven't changed. In other news, some of you may not know about a case uh, with vaccine injury, uh, HPV, where two girls from uh, Wisconsin, well-off family, they went to go get the HPV vaccine because the doctor told their family, it's going to prevent cancer. Get this. This is going to prevent cancer. And the mother said, hey, anything to prevent cancer? I don't want my, my children to have cancer. Well, yeah. They took the vaccine and they ended up with premature menopause. Both of the girls ended up with premature menopause. Oh, it's so rare. Nah, it's really not. It's really not, but you only know about the people who have enough money to do something about it. Check this out. This is one of those stories where you say, are you kidding me? A life-changing diagnosis. Two sisters in their teens, just starting to grow up, say they were robbed of their womanhood. It's unbelievable. Fox 6's Ashley Sears explains why they say a vaccine is to blame. There are few relationships in life as strong as that of sisters. Inside this Mount Horeb home, it is a bond formed at birth, strengthened through time. Maddie and Olivia Myler are separated by just 13 months, sharing clothes, a love of sports, and in 2007, a life-changing doctor's visit. We went to um, the same physician throughout the years. At their annual physical, the doctor suggested a new vaccine. She said it would prevent cancer. I was in seventh grade, you were in eighth. I jumped on board and I said absolutely anything to prevent cancer. A new vaccine. Her shot, it hurt really bad. That initial pain, nothing compared to what they say happened next. As the years went on, Madeline never got her period. Time passed. The sleepless nights and um, the anxiety. Her development took a turn. I still hadn't had my period, which I thought was weird. After multiple doctor's visits. And sure enough, I um, had POF. Maddie was diagnosed with premature ovarian failure. She was going through menopause at just 16 years old. I do remember just like just being confused and like emotional. Maddie relied on Olivia for support. I just felt really sad for my sister. Only to find out months later, I was also diagnosed. In Devastated. It's rare at their age, and it's very rare that two sisters would have premature ovarian failure. The sisters went through genetic testing, looking for answers. That's all negative. They say all roads led back to that doctor's visit in 2007. I realized it was the Gardasil vaccine. The Milers believe the HPV vaccine is to blame for their rare disorder. I'm mad at myself. You know, I should have, I should have looked into it. And we know this vaccine is safe. But it is an answer Dr. Lynn Ranta of Children's Hospital calls unlikely. And there's really no 
evidence that shows it's related to getting the HPV vaccine. Here we go with that is no evidence thing again. The benefits of the vaccine outweigh any risks. It has a incredibly low risk of serious side effects. The vaccine, it's not a live virus, it's a portion of a virus, is given in three doses. It allows your body to recognize the HPV germ in a non-infectious way. Um, and you build Listen to how she's talking. It's to stop the virus, which is a leading cause of multiple cancers. The risk for serious side effects is very, very small. A small fraction. The Myler sisters say they are a part of. I'm more angry about what I've had to endure already. The sisters have filed a federal claim with the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program. Come on. According to records, more than 200 claims have been made against the HPV vaccine. But there's no evidence. So far, 73 have been compensated. Four years, and there's still no ruling for the Milers. It's just frustrating just to be waiting. They've been robbed of their womanhood. The sisters who say family is everything. We can carry a child, but we can't create our own. May never be able to have children in the traditional sense. They're in menopause. They're 20 and 21. Not fair. An obstacle the sisters have been tackling together. You just have to stay optimistic. In Mount Horeb, Ashley Sears, Fox 6 News. Fox 6 reached out to Merck, the maker of Gardasil. The company says the vaccine's safety was tested in clinical trials and continues to be studied in more than a half million people. A statement reads, nothing is more important to Merck than the safety of our medicines and vaccines. Merck employees and our families use our vaccines too. We are confident in the safety profile of Gardasil. You see how they had to give Merck the last word. Let me let me break down who was the head of the CDC in 2008 and 2007 when she uh, when those sisters received this vaccine. Merck. Merck. There's a woman named Julie Gerberding. She was in charge of the CDC from 2002 to 2009, which includes the years the FDA approved the Merck Gardasil vaccine. Soon after she took over the CDC, she reportedly completely completely overhauled the agency's organizational structure and many of the CDC's senior citizens or senior scientists and leaders either left or announced plans to leave. Some have claimed that almost all of the replacements Julie Gerberding appointed had ties to the vaccine industry. Gerberding resigned from the CDC on January 20th, 2009 and took over as the president of Merck's vaccine division, a $5 billion a year operation and the supplier of the largest number of vaccines the CDC recommends. That woman was embedded, did her job, and went on to become president of Merrick. That is red flag, smoking gun, corruption of the highest order. Let me add something else in there from the same source. It was reported that last, it was, okay, May 2015, the month prior to this article being written that I'm reading from, Dr. Gerberding, now the executive vice president of pharmaceutical giant Merrick, sold 38,000 of her shares in Merrick stock for $2.3 million. And she still holds over 30,000 shares at the time of the art writing of this article, which was in 2015. Dr. Gerberding is a criminal of the highest order. And I'm sure she's a professional at, at dodging the truth. 
at not answering questions. You don't believe me? We have the director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Dr. Julie Gerberding here. Uh, we're talking a lot about autism, as you know. I should remind people that the, my understanding is the federal government conceded that vaccines caused her autism-like symptoms. Um, first of all, is there a difference? I mean, did, does she have autism? Or? Before you hear this woman speak, let me just break down what I just played. There was a case, another case, from another well-to-do family who had enough money to pursue the CDC. This was a uh, a case with a young girl named Hannah Poling. And I'm going to read something from uh, the case report from the abstract. Uh, there's an abstract or there's a scientific paper about this uh, called Developmental Regression and Mitochondrial Dysfunction in a Child with Autism, where 19, a 19-month-old girl was born after a normal full-term pregnancy. There was no family history of autism or effective neuromuscular, or I'm sorry, or effective neuromuscular, let's get it together, or hearing disorders. Her development was progressing well with normal receptive and expressive language and the use of pre-linguistic gestures such as pointing for joint attention. Imaginary play and social reciprocity were typical for age. She used at least 20 words and could point to five body parts on command. Several immunizations were delayed owing, frequent, owing to frequent bouts of otitis media with fever. Within 48 hours after immunizations, with a list of uh, immunizations she received, including the MMR, polio, Varivax, the patient developed a fever to 38.9 degrees Celsius, inconsolable crying, irritability, and lethargy, and refused to walk. Four days later, the patient was waking up multiple times in the night, having episodes of opstotonus. Working through these medical terms, y'all. And could no longer normally climb stairs. Instead, she crawled up and down the stairs. She crawled up and down the stairs. Not climb, crawled. She's a year. Low-grade intermittent fever was noted for the next 12 days. 10 days following immunization, the patient developed generalized erythematous, erythematous macular rash beginning in the abdomen. I'm pretty sure I butchered that word, but it's not important. The patient's pediatrician diagnosed this as due to varicella vaccination. For three months, the patient was irritable and increasingly less responsive verbally, after which the patient's family noted clear, clear autistic behaviors, such as spinning, gaze avoidance, disrupted sleep-wake cycle, and preservation on specific television programs. All expressive language was lost by 22 months, and the patient continued to have chronic yellow watery diarrhea intermittently for six months, which was evaluated with negative testing for Clostridium difficile, uh, ova slash parasites, and culture. Four months later, an evaluation with the infant and toddler's early intervention program for possible autism was initiated, along with the regression. Her appetite remained poor for six months, and her body weight did not increase. The result, this resulted in a decline on the standard growth chart uh, for weight from the 97th to the 75th percentile. Basically, all that said, well, she got a vaccine and she got autism from those vaccines. But let the CDC tell it. Let uh, uh, Gerberding tell it. Dr. Julie Gerberding tell it. You know, Merrick's girl. 
that's not that can't be autism we have the director of the centers for disease control and prevention dr julie gerberding here uh we're talking a lot about autism as you know i should remind people that the my understanding is the federal government conceded that vaccines caused her autism-like symptoms. Um, first of all, is there a difference? I mean, did, does she have autism or autism-like symptoms? What's the difference? Well, you know, I don't have all the facts because I still haven't been able to review the case files myself. But my understanding is that the child has a, what we think is a rare mitochondrial disorder. And when children have this disease, anything that stresses them creates a situation where their cells just can't make enough energy to keep their brains functioning normally. Now, we all know that vaccines can occasionally cause fevers in kids. Mm -hmm. So if a child was immunized, got a fever, had other complications from the vaccine, then if you're predisposed with a mitochondrial disorder, it can certainly set off some damage. Some of the symptoms can be symptoms that have characteristics of autism. Autism-like mitochondrial disease. Hey, listen, in the discussion part, in the discussion part of this paper, says uh to our knowledge this is the first description of an autistic child with mitochondrial dysfunction growth failure and abnormal muscle histopathology without seizures or a defined chromosomal abnormality meaning gerberding pulled that out of her anus to deflect autism like because Vaccines just don't cause autism. There's no evidence. Man, there are thousands upon thousands of families with children who are autistic who did not develop those symptoms until after they received a shot. Here's somebody you know, Tony Braxton. Did you read her book, Unbreak My Heart? I did. Love Tony Braxton. We share a birthday. Guess what? In her book, she talks about her son Diesel and how she went to take him to get vaccinated and he went in as a healthy, bouncy, lively baby, full of energy, sparkling eyes, bright and wide, taking in the world, and came back a zombie. Go ask her. This was years ago. Diesel is a, a great, brilliant young man now. He's developed, he's worked past his autism, and he's developed into a strong man. Beautiful child. Beautiful growth. But talk to her about her son, and she'll tell you. Because it broke her heart. Further down in this paragraph, if such dysfunction is present at the time of infections and immunizations in young children, the added oxidative stresses from immune activation on cellular energy metabolism are likely to be especially critical for the central nervous system, which is highly dependent on mitochondrial function. Uh, mm. First time we ever seen this, but hey, here's how it could happen. You know, the family, the polling family, ended up suing the CDC. They won $1.5 million, I think. What did they win? Let's go in. Let's find out. A federal court has awarded $1.5 million to the family of a little girl who developed autism-like symptoms autism -like after receiving symptoms. five vaccinations in one day. Hannah Poling was less than two years old when she got the shots, which were meant to protect her against nine diseases. And her parents say immediately after, she developed a fever, seizures, and severe health problems. Her parents filed a claim with what's known as the Federal Vaccine Court. I wanted to know why my, my daughter, who had been completely normal until getting nine vaccines in one day, was suddenly no longer there. 
Well, the suit was filed in 2002. Six years later, the government conceded the vaccines aggravated a cell disorder no one knew Hannah had and left her with permanent brain damage and autistic-like symptoms. Listen. This court, uh, this summer, the court agreed on the amount that would be paid to the family. That amount was announced today. Karen DeSoto is a defense attorney and former prosecutor. So, Karen, the natural question is you have uh, parents who, despite research and, to, and science, who believe that their child's autism is linked to vaccines. Does this open the door for litigation for them? Oh, my God. Well, uh, Tamron, there's already 40 800 cases in the vaccine court, uh, in federal vaccine court. Uh, the test cases so far up until this case, uh, the, the cases that were tried were lost. So it really looked like there was going to be no medical evidence to link autism um, with the vaccines. However, this does, this puts a huge chink in the armor of the government. But Tamron, I think one of the most disturbing things about this case is that the government did in fact settle, but now the case has been sealed. So I think that that's a very disturbing factor that everybody in America really wants to know, hey, um, if this is a public safety concern and this was because there was a cell disorder or the amount of shots, then shouldn't you tell us who have children who are getting our kids vaccinated? Did the judge explain or what would be the thinking behind sealing this, as you point out? information that could be potentially valuable to parents. Right. Well, listen, Tamron, you know, all I mean, autism is such a problem. There are so many children. It's an epidemic. So sealing anything that could give you a clue as to when, why or how I think is wrong. And it is a public safety issue and therefore unseal it. The government is using tax dollars to pay for compensation and damages in this case. Don't we have the right to know what this case is about and hiding it? begs the question, what is the government hiding? Let me read a statement from the CDC director. It says, this does not represent anything other than a very specific situation You know, they got to clean it up. Let me child. read what the government says. And, blah, blah, blah. and as I'm talking, they're rubbing it in and vax autism like that. Unknown to the doctor. So then, Tamron, why settle the case? Why did they settle the case? If this was just some kind of freak reaction why is the government feel that they're liable to pay 1.5 million plus five hundred thousand uh, dollars a year which will total about 20 million dollars and then you have 4,800 this opens the door for a whole host of things Tamron well, so Karen, somebody so needs to explain you're an attorney obviously and, and passionate about this right. as so many others and, and we all quite honestly should be but so what is the next logical step if, if this is sealed what is the next option for parents who are asking the same question you are which right. is why I want to know what's in this case I, I think that you're probably gonna see a flurry of cases trying to get that unsealed. Also, it begs the question that uh, obviously this case, they're saying that it was the result. Um, there, there was a pre-existing cellular condition, which yeah, was a mitochondrial abnormality, mm -hmm. which doesn't, you know, are they pre-screening kids now because of this? I, I know my son got vaccinated. He wasn't, he wasn't screened for mitochondrial abnormalities. So now what is this entail? What are they going to do now that they know or have evidence that there may be some kind of abnormality? normality might cause autism. So there's all kinds of things that need to be answered here. And sealing the case just begs the question that it feels like the government is hiding something. Karen DeSoto, thank you very much. I know we're going to continue to follow this. Thank you. Karen DeSoto, she couldn't, she couldn't stay with it. I bet you want to know why it was sealed, huh? You ready for the plot twist? 
Neurologist John Poling, MD, PhD, is not surprised that the federal government decided to grant compensation from a federal vaccine injury fund because his daughter, Hannah, now nine, developed autism-like symptoms after receiving childhood vaccines. You are watching a master Look, at work. If you don't have the money, you don't have the power. And that family was awarded 20 mil over time because he's a neurologist and a doctor. And he co-authored this paper I was reading, The Developmental Regression and Mitochondrial Dysfunction in a Child with Autism. They caked that man up. And the records are sealed because the records will show that vaccines cause autism. That's why DeSoto was so angry. Well, what does this mean? You know exactly what it means. Polling says that Hannah's doctor in Atlanta, John Schaffner, MD, was also a co-author on a scientific paper Polling wrote about the disorder and its link with autism. It has a number of cases of children who have uh, mitochondrial disorder and autism, but he is not sure that the one causes the other or vice versa. You see, they didn't mention the name of the paper. I'm mentioning it so you can read it yourself. Developmental regressions and mitochondrial dysfunction in a child with autism. You dig? That paper's called In a Child with Autism, written by John Poling, MD, PhD, neurologist. Gerberding couldn't clean that up, so she had to cake him off. You understand? Y'all go so hard calling people anti-vaxxers. No, there's a reason why people feel the way they do, mostly because some of those people have children who are autistic. And they weren't autistic till they got those vaccines. It's an epidemic. Increased over 400% in between 2002 and 2009 when Gerberding was making sure those Merrick vaccines were being distributed by the CDC to hospitals. Ask the parents to tell you the truth with what happened with their children. They're afraid of being socially ostracized because the pressure of media. Media demonizes anybody. You know, Tamron, you heard her walking her through those different things. It triggers vaccine. Yeah, autism-like symptom. She's being paid. Tamron was being paid to do that. Being paid to say that. Last but not least, polling says they should demand to know a vaccine safety record before agreeing to give it to their child, including any known links with metabolic disorders and susceptibility to injury from vaccine. God. You better pay attention. Stop taking this television talking head word that's being broadcast to millions as gospel. Because the Associated Press says there's no evidence that COVID-19 vaccine results in sterilization. It ain't even been in the wild yet. It's just now getting out there. You're just now getting the mRNA into your body. You're not going to know what happens until it's too late. Those cases were awarded monies, time on television, because those families had the dollars to do it. They had the dollars to pay for the PR campaigns to alert other people. Families in the hood don't have that money. Middle class families don't have that money. I have a girlfriend who was sterilized, a previous love who was sterilized when she was a teenager. Big nasty needle. They stuck her with it. They just jabbed her. She, yeah, get out of here. Sterilized her. 
Her periods were never the same after that. She has no children. Wealthy families living on the countryside have the ability and resources to fight these things. Those who know something's wrong. John Poling is a neurologist. He knows when something is wrong. He is a doctor when it comes to the way the brain works. He knows what's going on. They had to pay that man. And when they paid that man, they sealed the records because the government is in the CDC's back pocket. This ain't a game. You know that clip, snooze clip I was playing? A federal court has awarded 1.5. That's MSNBC. You know Gates invested in MSNBC. MSNBC was a joint venture between Microsoft and NBC. But I'm going to tell you something. In 97, Microsoft invested $1 billion in the Comcast. In 2012, MSNBC and NBC divested. But today, you can get on MSNBC.com and possibly see something from Dr. Fauci talking about, because, you know, Dr. Fauci wants to be the star. He's always wanted to be a star. That skeletal mouse boy. He wanted to be a star. So he's a star now. And he's enjoying every minute of it. We won't, we can't get back to a degree of normality until, you know, he owns stock in, uh, in Pfizer or Moderna or possibly both. And he joined the NIH in 1984 as an, as an immuno health expert, immunization. Vaccines are his business. That's his expertise. So it's only natural that he's, Administering the vaccine or helping push the administration of the vaccine or the administering of the vaccine to the global populace. Anyhow, even though Microsoft divested from MSNBC, they still own a significant portion of Comcast, and Comcast owns NBC Universal. So basically, MSNBC does the bidding of, of people in control at the board of Microsoft and Comcast which include Gates. This is a complete circle of influence that is beyond legality. It's beyond conflict of interest. And just, you know, people go to work and they go home and they take care of their families and they just want to survive so they don't have time to look into these things. Gates and Microsoft had a 400% return on investment when it came to Comcast. It's, it's frustrating. You know, medicine is dominated by politics on the pharmaceutical level. Pharma- I can't even consider pharmaceuticals as medicine. This is dope. This is legal dope. These are legal. This is, you know, Julie Gerberding is the legal Griselda. She is responsible for ruining millions of lives. And destroying thousands, possibly tens of thousands, by terminating their lives through these Merrick vaccines that have caused irreprehensible damage. Then goes on to become the president after being the director of the city. She should be below the jail. Doesn't answer questions directly. Speaks in a tone like this. Listen. 
they're they're autist autism like symptoms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Calm the apprehension. Calm yourself. It's okay. We're not here to hurt you. We're here to help you. You're here to help people hurt themselves and enrich your pockets in the process. It's almost like there's two tiers of medical practice. The doctors who uphold the Hippocratic Oath and the doctors who prioritize pay. Or maybe they do uphold the Hippocratic Oath while they prioritize pay by simply doing nothing. In turn, they do no harm by doing nothing at all. Hey, hey, doc, I'm sick. I got shot in the heart. Okay, yeah, hey. You sit in the waiting room, okay? Just wait here in the wait in the waiting room for ten hours. I'll check. We'll check back, okay? Okay. Hey, doc, I'm sick. I have stage four cancer. Ah, yeah. You know, this seems to be a rare mitochondrial deficiency. Let's let's look at the here here. I'm gonna here. I'm gonna write you a prescription. Write you a prescription here for some for some aspirin. A little aspirin. And come check back with us in about seven years, okay? I got what seven years. Okay, here's some aspirin. Here you go. Just might click my pen here. Here's some aspirin. We'll see you in seven years. It's ridiculous. You know, <laughs> you you think about this push to get black people to get this this vaccine. This push. Black people, you know, they're disproportionately affected. And oh man, you know, you got we guys got since when in the history of the world have have people sacrificed themselves and their ability to maintain their own health and well being for the health and well being of a disenfranchised people, primarily Africans and people of African descent, people of the African diaspora. Since when has that ever happened? Let me play this. Why some people have survived COVID-19 with mild or no symptoms. Researchers found a genetic mutation that cut the risk of severe COVID infection. It was found in samples from Neanderthal DNA and from people of European and Asian origin. What? The mutations have been passed down over thousands of years. Huh? Scientists say it may be why black patients are more likely to suffer severe Maybe. with severe uh, coronavirus symptoms. Neanderthals, who went extinct 40,000 years ago, mm. lived alongside of interbred with often modern humans in modern humans in Europe and Asia, but not in Africa. Pure African descendants do not carry the, the Neanderthal uh, the Neanderthal DNA. Homie couldn't even get it out right. This video got sent to me uh, from a friend of mine. This was a TikTok video. I don't participate in TikTok. Never have, never will. If you are not familiar with why Trump tried to ban TikTok uh, because you guys were too busy calling him the devil incarnate, uh, he banned or tried to ban TikTok because it was Chinese spy software, meaning once it's installed on your phone, all of your data is being sent to servers in China, all your nudes, all your voice memos, all your movies, everything, constantly being filtered and sent. This was found out by someone who reverse engineered the code to TikTok to find out exactly how it was built, because I think they were trying to build a TikTok of their own and ended up discovering it to be spy software. In turn, Microsoft purchased TikTok, you know, antitrust lawsuit, settling slap on the wrist, 
uh, slap on the wrist. We know everything. Backdoor technology. All the viruses started with Windows, Microsoft. Yeah, those guys. They bought TikTok. And it's still on your phone. So anyway, a friend of mine sends me this. And the guy who recorded this, you know, this, this, this black man, he's just sucking this stuff up. Neanderthal, oh my God, oh, maybe, oh, oh my God, oh. Just eating the news up like it's real. Because it's on TV and he heard a voice that he considered trustworthy, he believed what they were saying. But let me tell you something about four months ago. Matter of fact, not even four months ago, just in December, Neanderthal gene found in many people may open cells to coronavirus and increase COVID-19 severity. That's the exact opposite of what you just heard. If you become infected with the SARS coronavirus, cov 2 you might wish there was a fast way to check your Neanderthal ancestry. A small but significant number of people have an ancient gene variant from the extinct hominid that may double or even quadruple their risk of serious complications from COVID-19. I just played you a clip that the man just said that if you are Neanderthal descent, then you may not be able to get COVID-19. Hey. Then they reiterated black people are going to catch it. But y'all are trusting these people. Hey, man, these, these Europeans, they're not, they're Neanderthal descent. They, black people, you better get your vaccine. <laughs> hey, whites, you're okay. But black folks, you guys better go get that. Guess what? The first COVAX vaccines have been delivered to Africa. Here's why it matters. Christian Akarli from Reuters. The first COVAX vaccines have been delivered to Accra in Ghana. They plan to deliver 1.8 billion doses to poorer countries in 2021, covering up to 20% of their populations. They plan to deliver 2 billion doses this year, including 1.8 billion to poorer countries at no cost to their governments and cover up to 20% of countries' populations, but it will not be sufficient for nations, nations to reach herd immunity and effectively contain the spread of the virus. So, I mean, two billion ain't enough to the African Union has been trying to help its 55 member states buy more doses in a push to immunize, excuse me, <clears throat> slow it down in a push to immunize 60 percent of the continent's 1.3 billion people over three years. Last week, its vaccine team said 270 million doses of AstraZeneca, Pfizer and Johnson and Johnson vaccine secured for delivery this year had been taken up. Last week it said this, and then Johnson & Johnson just reported not too long ago that they were officially a, a approved for the single-shot uh, vaccine. Listen, man, this is mRNA, investigational medicine. Not too long ago, those sisters from that rural Wisconsin family, what were their names? Maddie and Olivia, they didn't find out that they had premature menopause until like a year or so a couple years out their period stopped like it was they didn't know until it was too late this mrna is affecting your dna and they're trying to get everybody in africa including americans of african descent to take this vaccine hey we're noble we want to lay down you go first if you're an American living in America, historically, there's been black hatred and murder. 
There's been hatred and murder of Africans. There's been hatred and murder of the previously enslaved families. This is historic. This has never changed. I have a book called 100 Years of Lynchings by Ralph Ginsburg. I'm going to just open up to some random pages and just, just read some stuff. And uh, we're going to play Guess the Chapter. <laughs> uh, lynched after refusing to dance on White's command. Knoxville, East Tennessee News. Jim Rowland Negro was lynched near here yesterday after shooting Jason L. Harville, a white man who had held a pistol on him and ordered him to dance. Both men were well-to-do farmers. Each was a, each was standing with friends of his own race in front of a country store. Harville pulled out a gun and ordered the colored man to dance for the amusement of himself and his white friends. Rowland grabbed for the gun and went off killing Harville. Rowland fled, but was soon found by a posse of and riddled, uh, I'm sorry, was soon found by a posse which riddled him with bullets. And before doing so, the posse leader commanded Roland to dance. He refused. Rape victim. Random page, beginning of the book. Rape victim witnesses lynching of attacker. Ed Claus, a Negro, was lynched near here tonight while his victim, Miss Susie Johnson, was looking on. Claus was captured after being chased through seven counties by 50 farmers. Claus attacked Miss Johnson last Thursday as she was returning home from a small school, which she teaches. The Negro kept her prisoner for several hours as she was found the next morning by a searching party. A posse was organized and a Negro was trailed from here almost to Savannah before he was overtaken. He was brought here tonight by his captors and taken to the home of Miss Johnson. The young woman identified him and when asked what she wanted done with him, she said he ought to be killed. The Negro was then tied to a tree and the members of the mob fired at him until he was literally cut to pieces. Several days later, wrong man lynched as rapist. July 26, several days ago, a Negro man supposed to be Ed Claus was lynched near Eastman, GA, for assaulting Miss Susie Johnson, a young school teacher. The Negro protested he was not Claus and asked for his time and asked for time to prove his statement. But the mob was merciless. And now it transpires that the Negro was not Claus and had never seen Miss Johnson. Claus, who assaulted the girl, had been located near Darien, Georgia. Officers passed through here tonight to secure him. And it is believed Claus will be taken from the officers and lynched. Got the wrong dude. Blasted him until he was bits and pieces. Then found another dude and killed him. Yo, this lady, Miss Johnson. (laughs) Y'all talk about Karen's, huh? This is where that Karen stuff came from. Woman pleading innocence, lynched as child poisoner. Jenny Steers, a Negro woman who uh, it was charged, gave 16-year-old Elizabeth Dolan a glass of poisoned lemonade, causing her death, was lynched on the Beard Plantation here last night. The mob took her to a tree, placed a rope around her neck, and demanded a confession. The woman refused and was hanged. Negro burned at stake. Uttering alternate curses and prayers and shrieking as the flames encircled his writhing body, John Pennington. Pennington, a Negro, died at the stake near Enterprise today, a victim of the vengeance of a mob of 500 whites. (sighs) Two blacks strung up, grave doubt of their guilt. Lynch law ran rampant. Lynch law. Ran rampant. In this section last night, two Negro men were lynched, possibly 
for one man's crime early this morning at Mississippi City, and it is not absolutely certain that either victim of mob law was guilty. Henry Askew and Ed Russ held as suspects were taken out and strung up to a tree in a thicket just behind the railway station at Mississippi City. I didn't learn about any of this in school. Hunting Negro in Swamp. September 24th, a crowd of several hundred men was reported searching a swamp near here tonight for an unidentified Negro who today attempted to attack a nine-year-old white girl on her way home from school. Oh, my God, it's a Negro. He's going to... Officers reported that the highways in the vicinity of the swamp were choked with automobiles. They was looking to pick them a Negro. Mm. Possibly one, maybe other lynch victims were innocent of two Negroes lynched here last Monday and Tuesday in connection with the killing of one policeman and the wounding of another. At least one positively was the wrong man. Let's just keep turning. Oh, plot twist. There is no chapter. There are no chapters in this book. This is a whole book. Nothing but name after name after name. It doesn't even matter the years. It doesn't matter the years. This was legal murder. When has it ever been legal to murder people in the United States? Oh, <laughs> 60s, 50s, 40s, 30s, 20s, 10s, zeros, 1890s, 1880s. It's been legal to kill black people forever. You would almost think like, dang, man, that's almost like what happens today. It is what happens today. It's called occupational immunity. Yeah. Hey. Black dies, ah, you know, don't worry. They'll be mad for two weeks. Go on vacation, let it blow over after a year. They can't keep focus. You'll be off in no time. Hey, enjoy Angola. <laughs> enjoy Angola. <laughs> I read through this book and I find an article because this is a book full of clippings from newspapers all over the United States detailing lynchings. New York World, July 29th, 1916. New York Negroes stage silent parade of protest. You tell me the differences between then and now. In the line of march were doctors, lawyers, ministers, school teachers, and trained nurses. Many veterans of the Spanish-American War were there too. The Grand Marshal, Captain Herbert... Jackson, or excuse me, Hubert Jackson, served in Cuba and the Philippines as captain of Company L of the 6th Massachusetts. Clifton G. A., a French, I'm sorry, let me slow down. Clifton G. A. French, a lawyer, was in the 23rd Kansas. He explained the purpose of the parade this way. Quote, we love our government and we want our government to love us too. The banners carried aloft bore the following inscription, inscriptions. Thou shalt not kill unto the least of these, my brethren. Mother, do lynchers go to heaven? Suffer little children and forbid them not. Give me a chance to live. These are on the, on the posters that they, hung, they were uh, carrying around in the uh, silent parade. Mr. President, why not make America safe for democracy? 1916, y'all. The first blood for American independence was shed by a Negro, Crispus Atticus. Put the spirit of Christ in the making and the execution of laws. Your hands are full of blood. We have 30,000 teachers. Race prejudice is the offspring of ignorance and the mother of lynching. Race prejudice is the offspring of ignorance and the mother of lynching. 
10,000 of us fought in the Spanish-American War. Please care about our lives. No, they, this, this is me. Please care about our lives. That's what they're saying. Please care about our lives. What does that sound like? Please care about our lives. What lives? Please care about our lives. We love our government. Back to the book. No Negro has ever betrayed his country or attempted to assassinate a president or any official of the government. Patriotism and loyalty presuppose protection and liberty. America has lynched without trial 2,867 Negroes in 31 years. Not a single murderer has suffered. Memphis and Waco, centers of American culture. That must be where a lot of those lynchings were taking place. 20,000 black men fought for your liberty in the Civil War. The world, the world owes no man a living, but every man an opportunity to earn a living. 34 Negroes have received Carnegie Hero Medals. Our music is the only American music. A square deal for every man. Look, we've been saying the same things for well over 100 years. 1916 and 2016. That's 100 years. 100 years. And the people who perpetrated the violence against us have had children who perpetrate violence against us, who had children who perpetrate violence against us, who have children who continue to stifle our growth and development and perpetrate workplace and economic violence against us. Farrakhan, December 12th, 2020, Black Leadership Summit, in his video, described that now we have to survive because the death plan is in motion. He said black people are suffering from coronavirus because they send the worst food to certain zip codes. Now, maybe a couple years ago, you remember hearing the term food desert. Yeah, no nutrition. Black people are suffering. Food desert. Oh, man. The modern American supermarket is a cornucopia of plenty. Unless you're one of the 11.5 million low-income people who live in a forgotten place called a food desert. In simplest terms, food deserts are places where grocery items, staples as basic as loaf of bread, a carton of milk, a bag of apples or potatoes, are not affordable or easily accessible. <laughs> food desert. This other article. The good news is that help may be on the way as urban and rural communities alike test to innovative grocery models. Consider an inner city church wants to donate his kitchen and cold storage for a market stocked with fresh fruits and vegetables as county commissioner works on a virtual grocery for his supermarket list district. A rural high school runs the town's only grocery store. That's about a town in Kansas. Listen, none of these articles talk about how you can grow food yourself. Yeah, you just put a seed in the dirt, water it, and make sure it grows. You can take wood and burn it and take that ash and charcoal, integrate it with the soil, in addition to a little bit of compost or other natural things that are decomposing, and grow your own food. Carrots, radish, beets, grow a tree, oranges, avocados. You can grow food in your house. What's hydroponics? You guys will figure out any kind of way to grow weed in the house, but you won't figure out how to grow food. Listen, reaction minus research equals redundancy. And that's a precursor to RHP, which is regressive human programming. One thing you need to take away from this, a billionaire humanitarian is a term that is an oxymoron. There is no such thing 
as a billionaire humanitarian. Historically, this country has never cared about black people. And suddenly there's a push for all black people all over the world to receive an investigational medicine first before anybody. At the beginning of this program, I talked about corporate bullying by the powers that be in the majority, the racial majority. I talked about how the CDC is untrustworthy. I talked about how you can only have money. You only can have money as a tool to defend yourself against the mafia of the medicals industries. And then I talk about all the years of the same thing happening over and over again. You got to focus. You got to make sense of this. You cannot be programmed by the hypnosis that's happening. You cannot be programmed by the fear that's happening. You have to open your eyes, look at the facts, and make sense of it. And do not fear being called those ad hominem attack phrases that people call those of us who want to look beyond what we're being told. You know what word I'm talking about. You know what phrase I'm talking about. People are cowards and they're afraid. And you don't have to be one of them. But if you decide that that's the route you want to take, guess what? 